Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here, and welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. I am filled with hope. The imperative for social change in America has catapulted finally to the national stage. We have the awesome opportunity to unify America racially, to hear the pain and anger, to heal and to grow together. You've heard me say so often, we're all part of the problem and all part of the solution. Personally, I get that while I might think I've been supportive, I have played a role in racial injustices persisting. We all have. So it's especially meaningful for me to launch a new feature on my show called Our Voices, where you'll hear firsthand the stories behind guests' journeys to becoming who they are. Here's a time to listen with curiosity and without judgment and to create empathetic understanding of people you may never otherwise encounter. My hope is that you'll gain a much richer appreciation of vastly different experiences of what it means to grow up, go to school, struggle, work, and live in our world. With greater understanding of different realities, we'll be more informed around root problems and how together to solve them. And I hope in unexpected ways, you'll also see a bit of yourself in these stories. Without further ado, I'm grateful to my friend and former colleague, Patrick Brown, who's joining me from his work from home base in Missouri. Coming up the ranks in his career in IT, he engineered some of the world's largest and most complex networks. In his executive role now, Patrick and his team provide architecture and product expertise for customers to speed digital transformation and drive growth. If I had to pick three words to describe my friend and capture the essence of you, I'd say possibility, sense of adventure, and unstoppable. I'm pleased to welcome someone I respect and admire a great deal. Patrick Brown, thank you for joining me today. Hey, hey, thank you, Molly. It's uh, great to be here. I'm, I'm excited about the conversation. Yeah, you've been um, a real guiding light for me, and uh, I too, am, I probably have not been as excited for a show in a, in a long while. Um, we've been colleagues. We've also had the opportunity to work together in a bit of a coaching capacity. You know, a foundation for our relationship, our work, has always been being true to ourselves. This may sound easy. Uh, it takes a lot of courage. In the spirit of kicking us off uh, for this Our Voices series, uh, Patrick, I really invite you to share uh, with us your story, the people, the experiences, the learnings that have helped you be who you are today. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for uh, this opportunity, H happy to be, you know, kicking this off, right? Um, these courageous conversations, they're, they're definitely needed. Um, you know, my journey, um, you know, unfortunately, it, it started in poverty and pain, right? And, um, you know, my journey to get to where I'm at today, uh, it, it started there. And, and particularly what I mean is, 
right? I was, uh, I grew up in, you know, North St. Louis uh, during the height of the war on drugs, um, where, you know, violence, crime uh, was all, was at an all-time high, and just hope was at an all-time low. And, um, you know, what I mean is, you know, by the age of 10, I um, had lost, you know, friends to, to violence, family members to, to violence. Um, I had, um, you know, just, just experienced, you know, lived uh, the life where, um, I experienced things like rage, right? Um, I remember, uh, coming out of the restroom one day and, you know, there was a gun pointed at my head, right? I was probably in the third grade, somewhere between third and fifth grade. And, and, um, come to find out, right, there was a raid on my house and, um, you know, that had, that was a traumatic experience, right? Being at not only having the weapon pointed at your head, but obviously being aggressively ushered, you know, into a room where your family was at and, you know, um, things like that, right? Um, you know, there was so many people that, uh, unfortunately, like I said, I lost a lot of, a lot of people, um, along the way, right? Young friends, um, you know, I, I watched as, uh, you know, people I knew, right, um, laid on the concrete, the bloody concrete, um, you know, um, never to get up, never to reach their, their full potential, right? Or people that I would see one day and, you know, I wouldn't see for, for years on end, right, and not realizing they were, had been incarcerated or in a prison system. So as you can imagine, right, it, it was pretty tough growing up in an environment where, um you know, you experienced a lot of those things. Um, you saw, you know, the, um, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of poverty. You saw the impact that drugs and, you know, some of the, the war on drugs, right. With the, the policing, um, that happened in the community and, um, all of those things, right. When you grow up in an environment like that, it, it shapes you in powerful ways and it places you on the path, um, whether you know it or not to, um, a path to prison or, or the early grave. Um, and so that was, that was my, you know, experience growing up in, in that type of environment. Um, you know, obviously as I got older, um, you know, I, I experienced things like getting pulled over, uh, you know, for, for no reason at all. And, you know, getting, a, uh, having to sit on the, the concrete, right. Sometimes, in handcuffs, sometimes not, but, you know, getting the back seats ripped out of your car and getting your car tore up, right? Those are just some of the things you go through. And, and so as you can imagine, right, all of this, this pain, anguish, you know, emotions, and, you know, here I'm age of 10, and then by the age of 16, you know, make matters worse, right? I was, um, you know, at that age, I'd be, I was a high school dropout, right? I was a teenage dad as well. Um, so all of those things that, uh, you know, we normally, there are factors, right, that usually um, are reinforcing um, as you grow up in that environment that you are on that path, right, to prison and, and or early grave. So, um, in fact, right, when I was 16, I had, uh, you know, been subjected to violence myself, right, almost losing my life and um, in the progress. So, you know, it, it, it was um, needless to say, right? It was again that the journey started in in um, 
you know, pain and poverty. Um, but, you know, there was a pivot point. There was a, a real shift and just, you know, my mindset and the overall just tenacity and, um, you know, emotion and, and the, the drive that I wanted something more in life, right? For, if not for myself, uh, for my daughter, um, and so, you know, at that moment, I don't know if it was a single moment, right? But, you know, that knowledge along with the fact that, you know, my mom, right, she was, she supported me, you know, throughout the good and bad. She always, you know, believed in me, uh, saw things I didn't see in myself, right? And, you know, just with her push with the, with my daughter, uh, there and, and with just the knowledge that I want to, want to do more, um, you know, I really started on a path of just believing that, hey, anything is possible, right? Um, I had seen, you know, I knew that computers, um, I wanted to do something technology. I didn't know what it was at that point, right? It, it, it could have been something like building radios or whatever. But computers were, you know, definitely interesting. I was curious. Um, I was curious. And I, I never had a computer growing up, obviously, but... Um, I really got my first computer, I believe, when I was 17, 18, and uh, I had rented it, actually, and, and uh, you know, I started um, just learning, you know, getting books and learning everything I wanted, you know, um, needed to know about computers, right? I was curious. I was, I was you know, the, the, um, the information excited me, right? And, and, of course, right, I had to fight peer pressure. I had to... to um, you know, think differently, right, and, and really commit to um, to my passion, right? My passion at that point was technology, right, being something um, great. And so I, I focused there. And I would say, you know, I, I got, you know, some certifications. Um, I started, um, you know, progressing. I soon became an engineer for a uh, Tier 2 service provider, um, I started teaching, actually, uh, I was an instructor at a college, right? And here, I, this is before I turned 21, I was an instructor at a college uh, teaching others, right, um, about computers and technologies, right? And that, that time, it was specifically around Microsoft and just some basic networking, you know, fundamental classes. But um, yeah, I did that at night, and I worked as an engineer during the day. So you can, as you can imagine, there wasn't much time for uh uh, anything else, but that's okay, right? I was passionate. I was locked in, and that I knew where I wanted to go. I knew where I wanted to be, um, and so that progressed. And you know, I would say about a year later, I, I ended up uh, going to um, company, um, uh, you know, industry leading technology company, and you know, that is where my career really took off. Right. I've done some amazing things. I've, I've engineered and architected some, you know, complex networks, right? National security, defense, um, or, you know, service provider type networks, right? That have, you know, really supported the, the national uh, mission for our, uh, for our nation. Um, and so, so I progressed, right? And, and I had moved up through what I call the technical ranks and, um, it was it was an interesting experience, and really, it was about 
because it was about technology and solving problems and, you know, I was the hammer and the problem was the nail, um, I didn't really experience a lot of um, what I call just bigotry. And I think a lot of it is, or, you know, maybe prejudice or implicit bias, right? I didn't experience that directly, but um, I think a lot of it is, hey, again, you're there to solve a particular problem, right? And and um, there's not much room for, you know, bringing someone in of a different skin color who can't solve the problem, right? You gotta, you're gonna get the person that solves the problem. So I moved up through um, the technical ranks, so to speak, and I had reached a point, right? My brand was good. Um, I had, uh, you know, a lot of respect. I earned a lot of respect and, you know, I was um, really looking to, you know, there, there was more I could give, there was more I can do. And, um, you know, I luckily at that time in my organization, um, a very dynamic leader had, had taken over and, um, you know, um, he really, um, you know, really valued, right, the, the art of the possible and, and creating opportunities or, um, and, and really, you know, he, he really saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Um, and, you know, that was um, just, you know, exceptional, right, leadership and, and drive. And, um you know, through that sponsor, um, you know, he became my sponsor and, and, um, you know, that really helped me to make the transition right into people leadership, business leadership. Um, and, um, you know, throughout the years, I, you know, I, I, and, you know, I can dive into this further, but, you know, that really opened my eyes to the fact that I can have greater impact on people's lives, right? Greater um, impact as to, um, you know, my legacy, you know, that I leave behind. And, and that's kind of how I got here, right? Now I'm in a, you know, in an amazing company, right? And an amazing organization leading amazing teams. And, and you know, it was, you know, a journey started in, in you know, poverty and pain. And now it's in a, a position of strength and leadership. And, you know, I, I couldn't be more excited about the, the chapters uh, that lie ahead. I wish you could see the biggest smile on my face, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I have so many questions. I want to go back to that. what I heard is like this pressure to kind of stay in a, a world that's holding you back, Patrick. And I, I get the drive, I know that in you. Was that, was that really hard to go against the grain? I mean, share a little bit. You make it sound like, well, I went against the grain and I, you talk about what it takes, you know, when 99% when is kind of staying down and you're the one or half a percent that's like, I'm going up. Um, I'm really wondering if that was even conscious for you or there's just that was just what you were doing it was it, you know i think it was a combination of things right like i said once you have like once you know my daughter um came in the world right that gave me gave me a different perspective right i knew i wanted more for her um 
Um, and then, you know, the, the experience that I had, I think at, you know, when I was 16, right. I mean, it's, it was, it really opened my eyes as well. Right. And so I think a combination that really got me to thinking that, you know, I had to watch so many people, um, you know, die, right. Senseless deaths from violence and drugs. And, you know, I just knew that, you know, I wanted more, um, out of my life, right? I wanted to, to do more and I wasn't going to let, you know, my situation defeat me, right? I wasn't going to let the the structural and systemic racism that, you know, created these environments, right? Um, that, that I found myself in, I wasn't going to let that defeat me, right? Um, and, you know, and it's ironic, right? I mentioned I, I bought my first computer and, um, you know, one of the things when, when it was still dial up and, and one of the things, uh, more advanced things you could do at that time, there was not, not many was to, I guess, go on like chat rooms. That was the only advanced thing. And, you know, I wouldn't chat. Right. But it was just cool just to have them up. And then, you know, I started noticing, even as I was studying, right, I started noticing just a lot of stuff coming through the chat room where people, you know, would say that you couldn't do something right simply because the color of your skin or you know, just, just things that, that were just amazingly disturbing. And, and, um, um, you know, I'm not the one to, to respond, right. Cause sometimes it's, it's a waste of time, right. Depending on the situation. But I think one of the things that opened my eye, it, it didn't open my eyes to it. Right. I knew that, um, there was, you know, just through the, you know, 400 years of, uh, you know, just the history of the country, right? I knew there was undercurrents of that, but it really, ironically, um, really motivated me, right? I mean, as we go and, and accelerated me, I would even say, because, you know, that was just energizing, right? The, the, the fact that someone who didn't know me just judged me and, and thought that I couldn't do something and thought that I was less than or thought that I, I think that was, you know, it wasn't the primary motivating factor, but I think it, it definitely helped, right, when you know, I wanted to close the books and, and maybe watch TV or something, right? It it, it, was, it, it kept my book open, right, and, and it kept me moving forward, so. Wow. I'm marveling at, because that emo- those emotions are so raw and real of anger, of pain, to be able to let that go, Patrick, from an emotional strength piece is remarkable, right? And to turn it into a positive the way you have, I'm, I'm, you know, I've always been in awe of you, but now I'm like super awe because I don't, I just, I can imagine people thinking that is really hard to let go and to just turn, you know, and take another turn and, and up and onward, never looking back. Can you, um, you know, we talked about this before that, um, you know, we have this notion of deep democracy, the fact that um, hearing all voices in a system, whether that's your own self or with a group of people, including the unpopular, is, re- is essential to be able to get to an accurate um, reality of what's going on. And that's the only way a system can then really fulfill its potential. And when you have a story that has pieces of it that, you know, people might be shocked by and are hard in our raw, how, how was it that you, um, do you remember when you first told that story, you know, in this kind of picture perfect, you're in technology company, rocking it. I'm, I'm just wondering what it was like to be able to say, I'm going to really share all this stuff about me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Wow. I, I could, you know, the first time I told the story, it was tough and I didn't fully tell it, you know, and, and, um, you know, each time I tell it, it, it it's, it's, um, it's definitely a range of emotions. But the first time I told the story, it was to just peers, um, you know, the, the, um, you know, I was on a team with great leadership and um, the leader really understood the power of connection, right? And he always used the, the, the name, the, the, the phrase, I can see you because I've gotten to know you, right? And he really believed that um, that connection was, was powerful, right? It was powerful for, you know, multiple reasons. And part of building that affinity, building that connection was really sharing stories, sharing a story. And, and I've never been one that was shy or hesitant to share my story. I just, you know, in a corporate world, I just never, I won't say I never had an opportunity, but I, I didn't think it, it uh, would be as powerful, right. Uh, and as, as impactful as it has been. Um, so I think that was the first time I shared my story. It was a small group. It was just peers, uh, the leader of the team at that time. And, and ironically, it turned into an opportunity where I was able to tell it in front of a um, group of executives and aspiring executives, right? I think over, you know, 100 to 200 people. And, you know, as I was telling the story and I got into, you know, a little bit more detail, right? I had had some time and, you know, it was it was um, it was really powerful. I was surprised I got a standing ovation, right? Actually, too. And. And that was a surprise in itself. I told it with with a little um, bit of a, a twist to it, right? Where people didn't know it was me until um, till later, right? But anyway, I think you know what what was it like for me to share this story? It was a range of emotions, right? One is just sadness, um, thinking about all the people. Um, as I tell the story, right, the the, the memories, the, the faces just flash in front of me. All of the people that are gone, right, no longer. Um, you know, no longer with us and just, you know, senselessly, right? Obviously my mom, right? She flashed, she was my, you know, biggest supporter, you know, my hero. And, you know, she's no longer with us. So that that that's emotionally tough, right? Um, trying to tell the story and keep it together. And then, you know, the other thing that's sad about it is the reality is that there's there's still many people, right? There there's people that there's so many people, right, primarily in African-American community and other communities as of minorities as well, but primarily African-American community that um, share the same story. And there's still many people that are living this story as I as we speak. So that that's, you know, that's the sadness that that generally overcomes me as I tell the story. I think the other emotions, right, there's a sense of jubilation, right, as I you know, reflect on where I was uh, at then and where I'm at now, you know, can I happen help but to feel a sense of achievement and happiness? And then the other, the last one is, is a sense of optimism. Um, you know, this is not the end of my journey. I have more chapters to write. And as long as I'm on this earth, you know, I can make a difference. And, and, and that, that's refreshing. I am so, um, I'm, impressed with how articulate and I know you've had time to think about it and I, I just want to offer for listeners and friends of listeners that you know this is um, a necessary journey for for folks to come to grips with um, our pasts um, and then the power that comes from that and you know I, I just 
want to shout out and honor your own courage, you know, to share today, to share in the past. Um, and I really hope it ignites two very specific actions. And that is for folks, you know, our stories aren't all pretty. And, and as I've mentioned before, it's our struggles that, that, you know, help us be the amazing people we are today. So I want to hope and encourage people to, to dig deep and to share their stories. And on the other side, for us to ask about folks that we may think we know, and lo and behold, we probably don't really know. And all it takes is a simple question of, you know, share your story. And, um, you know, I think, you know, in my experience, when people have been given that opportunity to share it in a safe space and to know they're going to be respective and love for it, they're always going to go there. And, you know, we, we love this. I can see you because I've gotten to know you. And that will go such a long ways in the healing and people living peacefully together. Let's uh, segue a bit because I'd love to tap into, again, this is, you know, your experience, but for listeners, you know, what, what are some things, you know, we're about action, bias for action. What can people do now? I know there's some structural things and policy things for sure, but Patrick, would love to hear, you know, your ideas for listeners about how they can be more part of the solution um, um, and bridging the gaps and uh, helping us all be better together. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, clearly just, you know, my, some of my thoughts, um, I would say my, my recommendation or suggestions would be first, right, be curious, be proximate, be courageous. And what I mean by being curious, right, really educate yourself on, you know, racism, implicit bias, Right, what that means, how it impacts us, um, you know, increase your consciousness, right, your overall awareness of uh, those things, right. That's that's first and foremost. Um, just just get a, a, a awareness, right. Be curious. You see it, right. You see the the things that I described, but in my story, right, they're they're not foreign to us today, right. We still see. Um, there's areas in, you know, the major cities where, um, you know, there, there's just, just violence. Um, you know, there's still the war on drugs, right? We see the expansion of the prison systems. We see, you know, we hear the numbers um, that, you know, are disproportionately, right? There's, there's things that impact the black community, right, um, as it relates to wealth, health, and, and other things, Um you know, ask why, right? Be curious. Um, and, you know, not just simply accept that these things are the way they are and not really understand how things got to be. And so that that's the first thing. And then I think really being proximate is important because if you're not able to have proximity, right? If you don't not, the only people that you are interacting or only time you, you see, um, you know, African-Americans or, or maybe people that are, have been impacted by um, structural racism and, and, you know, um, aggressive policing or things like that. If the only time you see that is on the news or on TV, right? You're not being proximate, right? And the proximity is, is, important for you to really have empathy, right? For be empathetic and, and, and have compassion. 
it's it's so being curious is going to help you get your head in the game, right? Help you get a good understanding. But being proximate is going to help you get both your heart and head into the game, right? Because when your heart is in the game, I think there's no question that, you know, you're going to be passionate, you're going to be purpose-driven, and that's really what we need, right? If people are really wanting to, um, you know, progress humanity, create a better society for everyone, right? You have to have both your head and heart in the game. Um, and then courageous, I would say it's, it's saying what needs to be said, right? Even if it's not popular. And um, people care about what their leaders care about, you know, what their friends care about. Um, so not saying something, not saying something is saying something, right? Inaction is action. So you don't have to get political, right? I, mean, I definitely understand. There's, there's definitely, um, you know, if if we just were to watch news or, or whatever, right? There's definitely forces that try to make us go political. But making a statement like, you know, whether you're a high school, you know, girls basketball coach or you know, you're a leader in a um, you know, company, you know, making a statement that, hey, you know, we stand against racism in any form and intolerance. And, you know, that is just fundamental, right? And if you can't simply say that um, and mean it, you know, I think it would show. And I think it's telling, right? It's telling if you, if there's an 800 pound gorilla in the room, and you're not saying anything about it, right? You don't have to get political. You don't have to go into the weeds of every little string, even though I think as you get more proximate to a situation, um, it will allow you to do that. But at least, right, at, at the basic fundamental level, right, have the courage to say what needs to be said because people are watching, right? People care about what you care about as a leader. People care about what you care about is their friend. And we have to change the mindset, right? We have to somehow change the subconsciousness that has been created through 400 years in this country of just systemic and, tr and structural racism, right? That has uh, progressed, you know, from slavery to um, Jim Crowism to, um, you know, um, redlining, um, you know, segregation, redlining, implicit bias, right? We have to change this stuff. And although we, we won't be perfect, you know, we have, we, we're not trying to be perfect, right? Um, so that, I think those are the three things that I would say, right? Be curious, be proximate, be courageous, right? Be a leader. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> Punctuation, exclamation point. This is a perfect segue to... Uh, move into helping people with saying it, you know, what needs to be said. And I, uh, I know in, you know, having my own corporate experiences um, that f I think folks want to do the right thing. I think we, we, you and I talked about that. There's a vast majority of work with the willing and they're just like, what do we just want to make sure we, you know, that some people are paralyzed and they're afraid if they say the wrong thing. And I think to your point, it's, it's be positive in that intention um, create some compassion that people don't have the perfect words, but that, you know, we, we need to start having some of these conversations while they may be a bit uncomfortable 
folks for folks now, we can make them something that's not so much. Um, how about some scenarios? You know, I think it's it's helpful to give our listeners maybe some specific words. Um, do you have any situations? You know, I mean, I know you have some, but a few situations that perhaps we could role play back and forth um, to help people. You know, use their voice in a way when they've seen something that's not right. Um, uh, what 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 uh, what comes to mind for you, Patrick? Um. I think really, and it, it's might not, it, it's not around race in, in particular. I know that's been the, the topic that we, you know, just it's the hot topic in the country at the moment. And, and well, not at the moment, right? Throughout um, my lifetime and, and uh, uh, what we're talking about here today, um, I would say it, it's more around, um, you know, what I call, um, stonewalling or, or what I call, um, um, you know, people, you know, the human nature to, um, you know, point the finger, right? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I would, um, you know, I think a situation where, you know, I was in a meeting, this is a, a while ago, long time ago, actually, um, and I was in a meeting and, you know, there were Clearly, right, someone raised their hand to voice a dissenting opinion, and, um, you know, you can see it plain as day, right? It was almost like that person was just stepped into the firing squad, and, you know, I, I felt that, you know, I could see the the number of people that are just, you know, aiming at this person, and, and you know, they all, you know, gathered in solidarity and, and uh uh, really started going after this person and, and um, you know, that didn't sit well with me because one, I believe in just fairness, right? I believe in, I, I embrace, and this is not just me saying it, right? Cause I'm an African American, but it's, I embrace differences. I embrace, right? Inclusion and, and diversity um, of thought and people. I love debate. I love, um, I love fairness, and um, I didn't. I didn't feel that that person was was getting a, a, a um, you know a fair take, right? And so I I jumped in, and I probably could have said you know more, um, but I I jumped in, and I um, you know I knew that I had uh, influence at the table, so immediately I jumped in and and asked that person, right? I, I uh, Ask that person, hey, give us more. I, I want to hear more, right? And and I gave that that individual some time to really articulate their point in a way that, um, you know, without disruption. And I and so one one of the things that I probably could have done then was maybe address the situation head on about, you know, hearing all voices and dissenting opinions. But, you know, I did it in a roundabout way. Right. And as, as I reflect, I probably should have stood up and done it in a more not aggressive way. Right. Not to, to demonize the people that were, you know, in solidarity <laughs> at that person, but more of um, just to use it as a, a coaching opportunity for the rest of the team, for the people that was that was present. 
Thank you for raising this powerful, um, and just to call it out, the ability for you to use your privilege, right, of knowing that you had influence, that your voice, right, would carry um, is a huge, huge opportunity for everyone. When we see things uh, for what might be a marginalized voice, to be able to use what whatever our assets are to give that person um, space is huge. I'll just throw in a few ideas because these things can get a bit of a, it's like, you know, it's like people ganging up. And so it, it may take a bit of, you know, time out or a little bit of something that's a louder voice that just kind of gets everyone to shaken up a little bit because sometimes it can be hard to figure out how do I get in there, right? So it might be a banging the hand on the table or something to kind of shake it up to acknowledge the voices. I appreciate, right? People have very strong points of view and we all care. So that's acknowledging in a positive way. And also that I know none of us would ever want to feel ganged up on, right? So the ability to kind of not so discreetly say, we want to need to put ourselves in other people's shoes. So that might be a way to kind of, kind of if you will, create a, a, a shock factor to the system. And then I think what you did, right? So I'm, I'm going to offer an opportunity for us to really learn. And I'm asking people to let go of your point of view right now and imagine that this is yours. So again, anything that we can do to get people to put themselves in other people's shoes can help melt away. I think the sense of like, I'm right, this is me and, and, and people get stuck in that. So I just pause for a bit. Does that yeah. feel like something that could work for you? It does. It does. And I think, you know, just thinking about it, reflecting on it and, and hearing what you said, I think putting yourself in that other person's shoes is is definitely right. And that goes back to, you know, empathy. Right. And I remember right when you and I were I think we were ha we were having a coaching session and, and I think you asked me the question. I can't remember all the details, but I think you asked me the question, hey, what's what's um and at that time i really didn't understand what it means to be vulnerable what you know empathy i didn't really understand those things um at least you know i heard them and i thought i did but you know you asked the question like what are what's something that makes you uncomfortable or what's something that you just dislike and you know i remember uh, i thought about it for a bit and, and one of the things that popped in my head was that i just you know i i dislike in just going to funerals and, you know, it's, it, and, you know, it was very, it's uncomfortable and, um, you know, going to a family member or friends, right. Um, or funeral, right. The comfort of a family member or friend. And, and it's because, right. I'm a problem solver at heart and that's a problem that you can't solve. And I, I was going on and on and on. And it was about, I, you know, me and me. And then it took me a while to realize, right, that is it. That's the point, right? It's not about me. It's not about my discomfort, right? It's about simply being there, being present, right, um, for that individual, right? It, and I was making it all about me and my comfort. And and that's not what it means to be vulnerable. That's not what it means to have empathy and, and put yourself in that person's shoes, right? Just you would want people to be there, right, and not really... Um, you know, if we all think about, hey, what's, what's, you know, if we don't take action because it's not comfortable for us to do so, 
mean, where would we be, right? So I think that was a moment that really underscored for me what it means to be vulnerable, what it means to be, you know, empathetic and put put myself in other shoes. And, you know, we've done it, you know, with, with COVID, right? The COVID, the pandemic, um, as a leader, right? We all empathize and, and, and um, you know, we try to put ourselves in the, you know, our in Port Hoi's shoes and understand the things that they're going through, right? They're not only a working, uh, an employee, right? They're, they're also a teacher or, um, you know, uh, different, you know, uh, different things at, at home, right? That they didn't have to, uh, be in, in before the pandemic. So it was, I think that really opened my eyes about empathy and what it means to step in other shoes and, and just kind of listening to you, right. Brought back that memory. So I wanted to share with the audience. I appreciate that. And what a powerful epiphany. And, you know, it's, you've heard me say it, you know, when each of us grows, you know, we can then all grow together and it, it starts, you know, looking in the mirror for folks. And it's just, it is that basic. And I think there can be some resistance. Well, that's not me. I didn't, I'm doing what I can. And the minute I hear those kinds of things, I want to exhale. I want to be like, okay, let's really think about that. And and if we have a little of that from everyone, right, we're going to go a long way. Um, let's. We. I wanted to to bring up this notion of parenting um, today because I think the conversations that you may have had with have to have with your kids. Um, I'm curious about conversations your mother may have had with you. I just think that could be very illuminating because um, I think they may be very different than um, than folks who you know haven't grown up with the kind of pain and the poverty uh, that, that you've experienced, Patrick. Yeah, it, um, it surely is, and it, it's quite it's it's been difficult, right? And and um, in particular, when I to try to have the conversation with my kids about what's going on, right? They see it, um, you know, it's 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 on TV, um, you know, it, it's in the news, and I, I don't try to hide it from them, right? That's that's definitely one thing I don't want to do, but I definitely want to be there so that I'm helping them understand in a way that doesn't become limiting. And what I mean by that, right, as I have a conversation with my kids, um, it's important to me that, you know, they understand the history of racism. They understand, um, you know, all the way from enslavement through to today, um, but they don't let it become a limiting belief to where it, you know, impacts their growth and, and their possibilities, right? Um, the possibilities for them and their potential. So I'm very cautious of that. It's a difficult conversation. There's no playbook, um, but I, I really talk to them about, and, and, you know, some people, I would say this is the thing. Some people would say, I think the, the, the thought, right, for the longest is our kids don't see race and, and, you know, you don't have conversations with kids about race and, 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 I think over time we've learned, right, that's wrong. And, you know, my sons, they definitely see race, right? They're kids that, you know, when I go to school and just have lunch with uh, my kids or attend a Christmas party, right, the kids at school see race. I remember, you know, it's hilarious. I had a kid, um, I think it was my son's second grade class, and 
you know, I was, I was there at a Christmas party and he said, you know, you know what I really like about, uh, you guys, you and, uh, is that you're, you're Brown and your last name is Brown. And I, I couldn't do nothing but, you know, chuckle on the inside, right? Cause it, he didn't mean it in a malice way, but clearly, right. He sees color. Um, my son also, right. When he was a little bit younger, right, you know, I overheard him at the kitchen table, um, and they were just having, you know, uh, my, my younger son and oldest son was just having a conversation back and forth, what they're going to be when they get older. And, and my youngest son, he, he's infatuated with power, right? He, he, he asked me questions about you know, God and, and just anything that's, you know, president, anything that's in a position of power. And I heard him say, right, overheard him say that, hey, you know, I, you know, my, my oldest son asked him, hey, you're going to, what about being a king? And my youngest son said, you know, I can't, you know, can't be a king, right? You have to be white to be a king. And this was, you know, I was, I overheard, I didn't immediately react to it um, because I wanted to, to pause and, and give some thought, right? And, 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 and go with a thoughtful response, right? And to not only educate them, but then to try to understand, you know, where that perceptions come from. So kids see color, Right. And unfortunately, still to today, right, my son has never heard that. Uh, but obviously he was subconsciously is being informed or, or programmed into believing that even at the age, even as a second grader. Right. Um, first or second grader at that time. And that's shocking. Right. So I would say you can't ignore the conversation with your kids because your kids Right. They see it. You can tell them racism don't exist. You can tell them, you know, people are equal. You can tell them uh, the treat people, people equal. You can tell them um, all of these things. But what they see day in and day out, what they experience day in, day out will be more impactful and have more influence over, you know, what they perceive in the long term. So. It's critical for, I think, me, and it's critical for, you know, the parents out there to have conversations with your kids, um, age-appropriate conversations with them about race, right? Um, you know, don't hide it. Um, you know, talk about it in a, in a, in a sense that, uh, or that they get a good sense and, and understand, right, the situation at hand. So, and then I, the last thing I would say, you know, my... Definitely. My mom had conversations with, with me and, you know, my four brothers. Right. So it was five, five of us, as you can imagine. Right. So my mom had her hands full, but, um, you know, five boys. <laughs> and wow. uh, so she had conversations with us about right, police and, you know, how, you know, um, those interactions. She had conversations with us about, you know, just just, um, you know, every day. Um, I was actually part of the first, well, maybe not the first wave, but a wave of desegregation uh, that had, you know, where they were busing kids from the inner city out to the county. So, you know, and the county was maybe, I don't know, roughly about 95 percent, you know, white. The city where I was from was probably 99.5 percent, you know, black. And um, so, you know, even going through that, right, my mom had conversations uh, to make sure that we understood, um, you know, that our skin was not an impediment, right? Our skin color was not an impediment, right? That 
that anything was possible. So she really infused us with that, that healthy belief that we could achieve, right? Um, even though, right, we had uh, things against us. God bless her. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Um, the uh, We've gone through a lot here. I'm curious at a personal level, you know, you, and, and again, it's, very generous in giving of you to give us an inside look here. But, you know, what's a, a top takeaway for you, you know, and just having kind of heard yourself and gone through this, I'm just wondering what's going on for you at this moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the top takeaway for me is, is the enormous responsibility that I have to continue telling my story. Um, because I think it, it, it makes it easier for others to share their stories and we need to hear all voices, right? We, we, we don't need to just marginalize voices and only hear so many people. We need to hear all voices, right? Make sure all voices are heard. So I think that the, um, you know, for me it's, it's the power of just being able to tell my story and be comfortable with that and be comfortable, you know, knowing that um, even if one person walks away inspired, that's good enough for me. Um, I think the other thing I'm, I'm really walking away with in the conversation is, um, you know, making sure that I am you know, having that courageous conversation with my team, right? Just because I'm an African-American leader doesn't mean that, you know, I, yes, leading by example is, is good. Um, but I have to be conscious as well of, you know, not just of, yeah, African-American um, or racism and things like that, right? It's, it's, I need to increase my consciousness, my proximity with, a lot of the issues that other issues that we have that are affecting different communities. Um, so it's just a constant reminder that there's, there's, uh, there's more, more to do, right. I can enhance my uh, leadership there as well. Well, I, as you know, am here for you and uh, you know, I remind our listeners of your three sage pieces of um well, actions they can take about being curious, being proximate, being courageous. Um, and really, Patrick, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You know, I know lots and lots and lots of goodness is ahead for you. I appreciate you kicking off our voices, this feature. Um, and of course, I thank you for being part of the solution, my friend. So uh, we'll be in touch and you take good care. No, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, uh, Molly. And I will just, you know, leave the audience with, you know, a quote that it, it's, it's really a quote that embodies, I think my story embodies the mindset that I have. And it, it's a quote that, you know, um, the words that um, Robert F. Kennedy famously said in, in a speech in, in the 50s, right? He said that, you know, some people see things as they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not, right? Why not, right? We should all dream for, you know, equality, 
um, a more perfect union, right? Why not be courageous? Why not be proximate? And why not be curious, right? So I, I hope, um, you know, it's, it's been an honor to, to share my story with, with you and the audience here, Molly, and, and uh, really look forward to our continued conversation. Thank you. As do I. You take, take good care, Patrick. Uh, as we come to a close, I, um, I will share uh, two reminders that I have the site, say it's skillfully.com, just to help folks find their voice. I do invite folks to call into next week's show, um, and I'll wrap with a thought for the week. And I really implore everyone to own we are all part of the problem and all part of the solution. Say it. I'm part of the problem, and I'm part of the solution. There isn't one of us who hasn't been dug into our own point of view or at some point said or acted in a way that wasn't respectful. Before all this, you could say, well, you know, I didn't know. Now, my message to everyone, regardless of your title or whether you're a dominant or minority group, is be proactive. And it might sound like this. I want to create safe space for everyone. If I inadvertently say or do something that doesn't land for you, please let me know. I can't be better if I don't know. And then we can hear each other and get to better understanding. It's that simple. You can do it. I know you can. Together, we can create a world where each of us can use our voice powerfully, openly, and honestly to be free, to be who we are, and say what needs to be said. And I thank you for tuning in. It's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show and help me amplify Patrick's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 